Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. In this episode, we have a live interview from one of our previous Expert Empires events with headline speaker David Goggins. David is an international best-selling author, probably best known for his book, Can't Hurt Me. And what's a unique twist on this interview in particular, aside from what you might have heard from David in the past, is that this interview is about how he built his empire. So the questions are specific to how to build a business, not just about mindset. So let's dive straight in. David, welcome to London. Well, thank you for the great greeting. I appreciate it. Thank you. So, um, I know the guys are excited to have you here. The first question I got for you is, like, your profile mm-hmm. has blown up <laughs> over the last 12, 18 months. Right. Like, these guys here in the room, they want to do the same. They want their profiles to blow up. How? How do you do that? Well, the first thing I did was, it was the hardest thing in the world to do. I grew up a very um, kind of like close kid. Um, a lot of you know my story, so I won't go too deep into it, but just beat a lot, and life beat me down. I beat myself down, and so the narrative in my mind was to just hide. I went to pretty much an all-white school growing up when I moved from Buffalo, and basically my idea was I was the dumbest kid in school. This is what I thought. Dumbest kid in school. I stuttered. I was insecure. My mom worked three jobs. I lived in a $7 a month place. And what I did in school, the first thing I did in school was every class I got, I'd always seek out the furthest corner so I can hide. Everywhere I went, I hid. Didn't tell my mom anything, so I'll answer your question in a second. <laughs> Long answer to this. So basically, my whole lifestyle was hide. Hide, just don't tell anybody. I, I, I had two people. I had the insecure David Goggins, that was the real me, and I had the guy that walked around all cool and bad, sagged his pants, I'm a cool guy. That was a front. So how I grew my social media was the hardest thing in the world for me because why? I had to drop my front. I had to get real with everybody and say, you know what? This is who I really am because everybody saw me as the guy that did 4,030 pull-ups the guy that ran 200 miles in 39 hours, the guy that went through three hell weeks. Everybody saw all the accomplishments, but buried was all the shit I went through in my life that I was like, you know what? People don't want to talk about that on social media. But what we do, what we all have gone through in life is crap. We all have hell. We all have, we all have gone through a victim's mentality. We all have baggage that we carry. We all have demons. So basically what I did for myself was I was like, you know what? This is who I am. You guys think I'm this person? So I just became very vulnerable. I became very real because your life doesn't start until you start telling the truth. And I started telling the truth and people heard it. Awesome. I mean, the, the book. Let's talk about the book. Right. Can't hurt me. Raise your hand if you've read or listened to the book, Can't Hurt Me. Make well, some noise. How do you feel about that book? Thank you. I mean... As I said in the introduction, phenomenal book, real fresh take on mindset. Where did the concept of the book Can't Hurt Me, where did that come from? It came from, honestly, it was almost um, through my life, a lot of things hurt me. So I I get really good at flipping negatives into positives. So my dad beat me, life beat me, I beat me. And I started to develop this mindset when I was in Navy SEAL training is the instructors would kick the crap out of us in SEAL training. And everybody just had this like poopy pants, face down mentality and like kicking rocks. And I could tell in that one second, I called the one second decision, everybody started just like panicking. They want to get out. I was like, you know what? All these guys who are these tough alpha males who are putting us through training, they're judging me right now. Mm. So if they can put me through the worst hell possible and I can look at them while everybody's like cowering, quivering, snot bubbles, it's freezing and say, you can't hurt me. It made them really mad. But in the day, that became my mantra. It's just, you know, you can't hurt me. So it came from that. It's like almost like a big F you to everybody. Sure. And, um, but that mindset kind of carried on to like just say, whatever's in front of me, it can't hurt me. I'm going to keep on persevering through it. So that's where the title came from. 
Sure, amazing. And like the book, let's talk about the promotion of the book. Like, raise your hand if you've written a book. Raise your hand in the room if you've written a book. All right, cool. So, yeah, a few of you, a fair few of you. So, like, what was the, the strategy? What was the process for promoting the book? Because, I mean, it was literally everywhere. Like, right. I could not go on social media and not see this book. It was right. all over the place. So, how did you do that? How did you achieve that huge exposure for the book? Well, the first thing was you got to find your audience. Mm. So not everybody is my audience. Sure. You know, um, if, if you guys know about me and follow me on social media and whatnot, I will drop an F-bomb or two or, 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 or 20. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm as real to life as I can be. So basically what I did was I found my audience. Now I'm looking around, I'm like, okay, where's my audience? Tom Bilyeu, audience. Joe Rogan, huge audience. Those people were my audience. So I'm like, you know what? So what I did was I started doing research on who are the pockets of people that fit my message. Mm. That was the low-hanging fruit. So I didn't go out here and start doing all this big research. I went to low-hanging fruit first because low-hanging fruit gets everything trickling upwards. So I hit the Joe Rogan pocket, and that pocket really was a big, big low-hanging fruit. And then from there, what happened was the book was so powerful and so real, what I did was I started having different, like, challenges for people. And... Like, so the book was about my life, but as you read it, it makes you think about your own personal life. And one thing in there is the accountability mirror. So I give people hashtags. So start hashtagging it, put it on social media, put on hashtag accountability mirror. Tell people about yourself. Tell people about your life. And so what happened was the people that read my book, they then said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to become vulnerable. This so-called toughest man on the planet became vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. It's almost like a lot of people need permission yes. to do something. Not saying I'm the grantor of all permission, but it's almost like by, by me coming out, it gave people permission. So from Joe Rogan, then people just said, you know what? Hashtag accountability mirror. Hashtag this. Hashtag can't hurt me. And then they sold the book for me. Yeah, it, it was an absolute masterclass in my mind of dominating social media, mm -hmm. like just completely everywhere. Um, and I think, you know, we've talked a little bit over the last two days, Rob Moore, um, who interviewed you for his podcast, I believe, right. yesterday. You know, he's been talking a lot about podcasts and how powerful they are to get your message out there. So what advice have you got for, you know, there's a lot of aspiring, there's a lot of speakers, there's a lot of authors in this room. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a lot of aspiring speakers and authors. What advice have you got for aspiring speakers and authors that want to try and replicate your success? The best thing is don't replicate my success. <laughs> That's the first thing. The first thing you want to do is who are you? What do you bring to the table? What are your talents? What are your weaknesses? So for me, I self-published my book. The reason why I did that, because I went to all these publishing houses, they offered me a lot of money. They wanted to take my story and what I wanted to deliver to people and take into all these different directions. They wanted to make it their story. Kind of my story, but their story. So I self-published, and how I even did the audio book was something that's never been done before. It was my own little twist, how someone read it, and I was kind of in the background saying some things, because you know, the audio book. So my best advice to you is figure out what is your thing. What, what do you want to sell to people? But it has to be very passionate to you. Mindset, mental toughness, overcoming obstacles, being vulnerable, being real, finding the start line, doing a live autopsy on yourself. Those are very, very passionate things to me. Therefore, I was able to put everything into it. I was very single focused. There wasn't running going on for me. There wasn't really a lot of work going on for me. It was single focus on the task at hand. A lot of us like to micro, we like to get tons of things going on. Tons of things going on and expect to do a great job at one thing. No. How you do a great job at one thing is you cut everything out of your life. Tell your wife or your husband, your kids, I'll be back in a second. Please understand that right now there won't be much balance. But by, by doing that, you will form big balance by getting your passion out, putting everything into your passion, everything you have, and that's how I did it. So that's, that was the biggest thing. I put everything into that book, and, it, and when you read it, you see what happened. And tell us more about the book deal, because, like, you know, you offered, you don't need to give figures. $300,000. Okay, you can give figures. For a first... Um, <laughs> For a first-time author, which yeah. is a big, big offer. So this guy's turned down, first-time author, turned down 300,000 US. Just share your thinking when you make that decision. Everybody besides my fiance was like, you're the dumbest 
MF on the planet. <laughs> so I sat back for a long time and I was like, you know what? I saw the direction that they wanted to go in. I saw some of the changes they wanted to make. And I saw how my authenticity was slowly going away. The book cover was going to be theirs. A lot of things are going to be theirs. My word was going to be kind of theirs. I sat back and said, $300,000. For a guy that made $70,000 a year max in the military, $300,000 paycheck one time is a great, great, great paycheck. But I'm sitting back thinking, okay, what should I do here? So they, they offered me that. I had a book agent. The book agent was there. When you, so I accepted the offer. I didn't sign the contract yet. When it's time for me to sign the contract, they laid down in front of me like almost a book like this. The contract was like this. Thing. I, was like, I was reading through it. Well, you can't do this. You can't talk about that. You can't. I'm like, shit. I'm like, I'm losing my life right now. So I went back to my agent and said, hey, I'm not taking the deal. He was pissed. Went off on me, cussed me out. You're off the list. Hung the phone up on me. My ex-wife's back, or, or my wife's back there, or, or my, my fiance. She'll tell you. It was an ugly conversation. He said, you're off. He fired me. So now I'm like, okay, I'm on my own. So basically, that's how that went down. I went on my own. So I lost $300,000, and I put over half a million dollars into my book. Because why? I printed 50,000 copies. In the first two days, those 50,000 copies were gone. I was number two behind Michelle Obama. Did not expect that to happen. And I was like, shit, I need, I need to make some more copies. But guess what happened? It takes six weeks to make more copies. So I made 200,000 more books. Those are gone that fast. So I have to buy my own book. So I'm buying my own book, trying to make money. Trying to, so now I'm good. I'm in the black. But to start off, it was a scary situation because those books are coming off. And I was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? So I, I stayed at number two behind Michelle Obama for 12 weeks. Now we're number four since December. So the book's been doing really well. So that, give me a round of applause for that. Thank you. And, uh, I think we've been talking a lot over the last two days about, you know, sometimes, you know, you've got to follow advice, mm -hmm. you've got to get professional advice about how to run things in your business. Sometimes you've just got to trust your gut instinct. And your gut instinct was like, look, these people are tearing away, like, my soul here. These are not, right. they don't want to publish the book way I want to publish it. So that turned out to be a very smart decision, clearly. Worked Smartest out Smartest in the world. <laughs> if you do say in so yourself. In the world. So... Now I'd like to know, what are some of the less smart decisions that you've made in business? Woo. What are some of the biggest mistakes you've made in How business? How much time do we have? <laughs> the first one was for me is I was fresh out of the military, even before I got in the military. Um, people came to me, they heard my story, because I I, I've been speaking for a long time now. And one thing, you know, just so you all know, I had a huge stuttering problem when I was growing up. So this right here is the most uncomfortable situation on the planet. I'm literally thinking while I'm talking so slow about every single word that I'm saying right now. Just to give you an idea about how I'm up here thinking, please, I'm looking at the time, 48 minutes, shit. So trust me, I want to get off this stage so fast. I'm like, come on, man, slow, slow your brain down. That being said, so this guy came to me and I trusted everybody because I'm like, you know what? People are good. Everybody's good. People want to help other people out. One big thing about business that I found out, those true people who truly want to help people out, boy, get on their coattails and follow them. If they're not about money and they're about helping a person out, truly helping a person out, they will be rich beyond measure because people will see that. It will come out of them as they sell their product. So that being said, here I am, Movie producers start to come to me about a movie. Mm, man, this is great. And let me see what's going on here. Offer me this, offer me that. Long story short, I got into a mess. Email chains going back and forth. Nothing big, email chains. Started realizing that something was not right about all this shit. Anyway, I said, you know what? This is not right. I can tell something shady, whatever goes on. Second I got the military, I'm broke off my ass. I get sued for $750,000. So imagine this. Have no job. I'm fresh out of the military. Did 21 years in the military. And my first real step in business, I'm sitting there trying to write my book, had to stop that, was I'm getting sued for $750,000 because I was trustworthy. You know, I was trusting people to do right by me. So that was literally the worst thing. Anything that's, on, that's, that's in emails... It may not get you in court, but trust me, make sure everything you do 
is really, really down to the gnat's ass. Everything is really thought out. Not everybody has your best interest at heart. So that was the worst situation I'd ever been in my life. It stressed me out. I was in this case for 18 months and just ended it. I ended up, you know, it ended up, I spent $80,000 on lawyer fees. And, but basically he won nothing and I won nothing. I lost a lot. So basically it really keeps my head on the swivel. It keeps my essay up. My situational awareness is up. Nowadays when I get emails, when I hear things, I'm like, hmm, what's your angle? Because once you become successful, you lose a lot of friends. You have no friends. People want you for one thing. Let me get on David Goggins' coattail, whatever your name may be, and ride you to the finish line. So that's my biggest thing. Awesome. Thank you for your honesty. Mm -hmm. Appreciate it. And, um, you know, we talk a lot here at Expert Empires about um, role models and mentors and people that we follow and aspire to be like. Like, who, who are David Goggins' role models? Who do you look up to? Who inspires you? Don't take this as um, being cocky or arrogant whatsoever. God, I have been beat down so many times. I don't judge people or nothing, but I have to say this. I was very blessed by not having too many role models in life or any at all because my mom worked three jobs. My dad beat the hell out of me, and my mom was never at home. When I went to almost an all-white school, there was just nothing there for me, so I had to figure a lot out on my own. So my biggest role model is I'm a big believer in whatever's upstairs, and I'm also a big believer in figuring yourself out. Don't follow anybody's path. Follow your own. And what that means is what you have to do is figure out what is my passion? What do I want to be? What do I want to do? What do I believe in? Because a lot of times you start, like, like I'm looking at role models, you want to be just like them. So what happens is you lose who you are. So I was able to truly be David Goggins to the core because I didn't have any role models. So I had to look inside myself and say, what the hell do I want to be? And I was able to do that to the best of my ability. So I guess the, my biggest role model is who's ever upstairs and um, David Goggins. So... But that also sucks because you have to be super accountable for a lot of stuff because, you know, like if your role model is Tiger Woods, we all know what happened there. <laughs> so, you know, you have to be super accountable for what you do in life because you got to hold yourself to a, high, a, a much higher standard than most. Great. So um, a lot of what we've talked about the last two days, um, Rob Moore talked about skill set versus mindset. We've been learning a lot of skill set stuff in business over the last two days. And I think, look, there is not a shortage of information out there, like strategies, tactics you can implement to improve your business. So from a mindset point of view, what advice can you give to these guys, you know, when they're overwhelmed or when they're confused or maybe they're stuck right. or procrastinating? Like, how can they get into more? How can they get more done more consistently to get better results in their business? The biggest thing is win the war against yourself in the morning. So what that means is this, your mind has the, the biggest tactical advantage over you of all time. It knows your weaknesses, it knows your insecurities, it knows everything about you. So basically, it's going to guide you away from that. It's going to guide you away from all that stuff, which is really bad. You want to face all these different things. So where am I going with this? When the battle in the morning time, when business and life and everything starts to get to you, we like to overthink things. And we get caught in this overthinking process of, what about this? What about that? And we lose focus on the big picture. So I call it the quitting mind. When we start to overthink things, our brain shuts down and does this. It just becomes this. There's not much thinking going on here. Not at all. You think you're thinking a lot, but you think about the same thing over and over again. You're not, called, you're not, you're not having solutions to a problem. So when you open your mind, become open-minded which is not panicking. In, in that one-second decision, I call it, a lot of people going through Navy SEAL training, what happens is this. Hell Week is 130 hours of continuous training. But Hell Week is only just one week of several weeks that we've already gone through. All that's different about Hell Week is you get no sleep. And you can't go back to your barracks and take a warm shower and get more food. But what happens is to the brain... They start to overthink Hell Week. Oh my God, 130 hours. Oh my God, I'm not going back to the barracks. So what happens is we've been out in the Pacific Ocean a lot. It's very cold. We get out there during Hell Week, hour one of Hell Week. That cold wave goes over your head. And that one second decision is this. Your mind goes from hour one to hour 130 in the first hour. Your mind can't process all that. 
It can process one hour at a time. It can't process 130 hours. So you panic, you freak out. The guys ring the bell, they quit. And then they put the helmet down. They take a warm shower and say, why in the hell did I do that? Because then their mind becomes logical. We live in this one-second decision a lot, but we start to panic. How you win the battle in the morning time is you have to win some wars. So basically, more time, if you, start, if you wake up, hit the snooze button, you've already lost. The first thing you have to do is start winning before you get outside your house. So what that means is when you wake up, what's the first thing we always do when we wake up usually? Check our phone. What's on the phone? Sometimes it's bad news. Sometimes it's a bunch of text messages. So what do we do? Versus occupying ourselves, getting our body armor ready. We don't get our body armor ready. We sit there and text people back. We sit in our bed or we're getting up, trying to half-ass our hair, whatever we're doing. We're, now the, our, our bed's not made. We didn't eat right. We didn't do nothing. So now we're rushing out of the house. Versus shut off all electronics in the morning time. Don't check anything. Get up on time. Work out, whatever your workout may be, meditation, eat your meal, make up your bed, do all these small things that make you feel good about yourself. We all know how it feels when we do these small things and we win. So once you leave the house, now the world has you. We don't know what's going to happen now because we can't control the outside stuff. But now let's say you start to lose. Things start to happen in business. Life starts to get at you. At least you're attacking life having already controlled and won what you can. So your mindset approaches everything very differently. So how I get on top of everything in life is I stay in control of my mind versus my mind staying in control of me. So those are some of the things I do. Awesome. Now, I'm, I'm kind of just asking for my own benefit now because I'm fascinated by this stuff. So you win the battle in the morning. Mm-hmm. What does a typical day look like for David Goggins? Are you sure? I'm sure. I want to know. I'm not saying I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm just kind of curious. Okay. Don't do what I do, all right? (laughs) Please don't. So basically, for me, I talk a lot to people about being better. So once again, it's about the accountability thing. So every morning I wake up, trust me, I don't want to do all this. Like right now, my schedule changes all the time. My schedule today for the last several months has been this. I run at least 100 miles a week. So basically, I wake up, I do what I said, I don't check anything. I get up. Clothes on, bed made, out of the house. I run two hours. I run two hours minimum. So it's anywhere from 16 miles to 30 mile run. Minimum. Get home, eat breakfast. I, I shit shower shave. <laughs> That's what I call it. Shit shower shave, go do work. Now, I do work for about three, four hours. I recover the body, I eat a lot, I hydrate a lot, I get ready for my second workout. Now it's time to hit the weights. Go to the gym, weight training, get done with that. Come back, answer a whole bunch of emails. From there, now every single night, I stretch out. And I know you're not going to believe this at all. Two to three hours every night for the last six years, I've missed three days in six years. And the reason why, if you guys have read my book, the very last chapter, I won't get too deep into it. It's a muscle called your psoas muscle. If you get anything out of this, I'm telling you right now, that muscle is so important. I know anything about it. It attaches your lower body to your upper body. And basically, it's your fight or flight muscle. And once that thing gets tight, it it actually attaches to your T12. For, I guess, six years ago, thought I was dying. My my whole body, my whole life since the time I was born until now, I've been in a fight-or-flight response. That muscle right here, we're all using it right now sitting down. It got so tight, it literally started to shut down my organs. And basically, no one knew what was wrong with me. I was on several medications. No one could fix me. I was so tight, just started stretching out. Had a huge bump in the back of my head. The bump started going down as I stretched out. I'm like, what's going on here? And as the bump got smaller, I got healthier. And I went from like 16 medications to one medication, and I'm the healthiest I've been in my entire life. The psoas muscle released, my whole body works. I couldn't even be up here right now six years ago because I was so just tight. And when you're tight, you're wound up. So take that. If you have shoulder injuries, back injuries, hip injuries, make sure you have full range of motion before you get cut on. That's a big piece of advice for you right now. 
So please understand, Google the psoas muscle, important muscle in the body. Awesome. Yeah, I'm kind of wishing I never asked that question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't say I was going to do it. Right, no. I just wanted to know. Right. That's all. So um, what's next for David Goggins? It's a question I get asked a lot. What's next for you? What's next for you, David Goggins? So what a lot of us do is we have this thing in our mind about the pinnacle of life. Mm. For a lot of people who graduate Navy SEAL training and became a Navy SEAL, it's getting that big, gaudy Navy SEAL trident that you guys see right there where the book picture's at. And then, um, so basically, that big, gaudy trident, people have that, and that's their pinnacle. So what's next for me is to make sure a lot of us, and that's the arrived, I've arrived mentality. A lot of people who become a CEO, I've arrived mentality. So they climb Mount Everest, and what they do is we can't live on top of Mount Everest very long without oxygen. So basically, what has to happen is you got to climb back down. There's a different Mount Everest for everybody. But what you have to do is you got to bring a whole bunch of oxygen bottles up there because you can't come down quite yet. Because once you get up there, you get satisfied, you know, you start coming down. So for me, my mentality is this. I have to continue to dig deeper into my mindset because I believe now I'm a teacher. And we all are teachers. A lot of people don't listen to me because not everybody is a student of mine. Some people listen to different teachers. But the people who understand my mentality, understand my mindset, those are the people that I'm talking to. So for me to continue being a teacher, you have to continuously live the life that you're preaching and teaching about. Yes. So that's what's next for me is continue to grind, continue to open up compartments in my brain to see what's next for me. But what's next for me now is continue this journey that I'm on right now. Awesome. What I love about that is, you know, I think it's quite easy, especially when you've been around the mindset, training, personal development world, to go, done that, right. done that, now, you know, mastered it, next thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is a guy who, let's face it, has certainly, by most people's perspectives, mastered the mind and still, he's going deeper. He's continuing to look at it. He's continuing to learn more. Don't stop when you're tired, stop when you're done. So that's the whole thing about life. Do not stop when you're tired, stop when you're finished and, and complete it with the task at hand. Awesome. I'm going to throw it open to you guys. Give you the chance to ask the man some questions. Raise your hand. What questions would you like to ask? Mr. Goggins, we need some mic runners. We can come to David here in the black shirt, please. Mic runners, thank you. Hiya. Um, when things start to get tough, what's the first conversation you have with yourself? And how, how did it play out? So self-talk is very important, as I'm sure you guys are all aware of. But a lot of times, self-talk is one big lie. So let's say you didn't study for a test. But your self-talk is on point. Man, I'm going to smoke this test. You're going to fail that damn test. Okay? <laughs> so what I tell myself is I first have to live it. So a lot of times, I'll be in a 200-mile run. At mile 100, you're saying, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore at mile one, let alone 100. So what happens is I'm able to talk to myself about the truth, about the time I put in. I'm able to go back at mile 100, I have 100 more miles to go and think about all those hours and months I put into to this one moment because I know during training I'm going to have all these mental hurdles to overcome during the actual event. So during training, I'm rehearsing, I'm visualizing, I'm self-talking that exact moment. So then when that moment comes, I'm able to go back and say, oh, we knew this was going to happen. We trained for this moment. We knew you were going to be miserable as shit right here. And so what happens then, I go back to my cookie jar and say, okay, 3 o'clock in the morning, you trained for this. You woke up, looked at your shoes for an hour before you put them on because you were tired of running. And now all that was for this moment. So my self-talk is... I'm able to bring back and visualize myself talk to the moments I actually lived. And I rehearsed that. But in that moment of pain and suffering, we don't want to think about that. We want to think about, I want to get the hell out of here. It's not about running 100 miles, whatever pain and suffering may be in your life. So it's hard. So that's what we call it the one-second decision. When you're spazzing out and you're saying, get the hell out of here, take a second, pull yourself out of it mentally, calm yourself down and say, okay, we can do this. Remember what you've done, the training you put in, and then put yourself back in the war. So that's what I do. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. um, for those maybe that haven't read the book, explain the cookie jar for them. Oh, sorry about that. 
The cookie jar is basically what happens in time of hell, not just physical, mental, whether you have a death in the family, whatever it may be in life. We've all endured something very challenging. But like with everything in life, the mind forgets about it. No, the cookie jar is, is, is just that. You know, your mom had a little cookie jar, put cookies in there. Basically, everything you've accomplished, overcome, hard times, hardships, you put that in the cookie jar. So then when hard times come, it's a reminder of just how badass you truly are in those hard times. It's, oh, I endured this. I overcame this. I can now do this. It's just a reminder to yourself of how badass you are. Awesome. Who else has got a question? Hey, Nick. First of all, huge thanks to Nick for bringing David in. Awesome to hear you live. My question is, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the highest, how would you rate your level of self-worth and why? Not self-confidence, self-worth. Self-worth. And why? Okay. I don't know why. I get some of these questions sometimes. <laughs> when I was, I have to say when I was younger, I have to say this first, I was probably a negative 100, maybe worse than that. Um, the thoughts in my mind were really horrible. Now it's probably a positive 100. The only reason why I'm not kissing, I'm not putting my head up my ass and looking in there saying, oh, I'm great. I just know what I've gone through. I know what it took for me to get on this stage in front of you all and speak very confidently and not care what you think about me and very passionately about my life and the struggles I've gone through. So my self-worth, it has to be high. If it's not high, you don't amount to anything in life. You don't. You allow everybody to judge you and walk on you and, get, and you get puppet mastered. And I got puppet mastered for a lot of years. So, All right. Who's next? Uh, yeah, let's come to this gentleman in the front, please. Adil. First of all, thank you again, Nick. And David, I've been a huge fan of yours for fucking ages. Thank so you. the first thing I wanted to ask was, um, how did you actually get onto the podcast that you did get on? Because that's, because um, I'm a podcaster as well, and I think right. I reached out to your people as well. But like, I'm just curious, how did you get on the shows like Joe Rogan and all the other ones? I was lucky. I was very lucky. Some, some, some luck comes into play with this stuff. I can't, even my book, I was lucky. A lot of, like, you know, there's a lot of good books out there that just don't make it. My luck was I put myself through hell and people saw it. So when you go out there and you're challenging yourself, what happens is you inspire other people. When you put yourself in horrible situations, it inspires people. So some people send some stuff on YouTube, 4,030 pull-ups. Joe Rogan saw me run 205 miles. I got lucky. He saw that. At that time, no one was doing stuff like that. So Joe Rogan said, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> you know, Joe Rogan, I'm, I'm just being Joe Rogan right now, being honest. He's like, what the fuck is this guy doing? So he would talk about me on podcasts. So I was off the radar for a lot of years. And I became on the radar, and Joe Rogan called me up immediately and said, look, man, I love what you do. I love what you stand for. I need you on my podcast. So basically, for me, is you, first of all, you have to be unique in what you do. When you're unique, people ask for you to come on. And I was just a very unique person. Not many black ultra runners, Navy SEALs. I was a 36 African-American Navy SEAL in the history of Navy SEALs. So I became very unique, but I sought that out. I didn't want to be normal. Yeah. I didn't want to follow everybody's trend. Oh, most blacks are doing this. If they're doing that, I'm going to do that. I went a different direction. Therefore, people said, hmm, this guy's interesting. And I caught people's eye. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. I suppose the fact is, ordinary people don't get invited to go on Joe Rogan. No. Extraordinary people who do extraordinary things get invited to go on Joe Rogan. You have to be uncommon. So do extraordinary, be uncommon. Uh, Darren, you've had your hand up. Um, hold on, take for the microphone, please. Yeah, yeah, bring it, bring it. So I was telling him to hold fire while you got over here. Thank you. Just pass it down for us, if you would. Yeah, oh, wait, nice if you've got, if you've got a you. question, keep your hand in the air, and then I'll make sure the mic gets to you before yeah, great, the person finishes. Thank you. you. Do, do you find it's got, obviously, all the toughness you've been through, and as you've really got to strengthen your mind, does it become easier now in sort of tougher times? It becomes easier, but no, I've got to say this. It still sucks. 
but it's my new norm. It's my new norm. And a lot of us don't understand what the new norm is. I lived in a $7 a month place when I was growing up. I didn't know any better. So that was a mansion to me. We moved to a $236 a month place, and that was my new mansion. I didn't want to go back to that $7 a month place. So when I was in Navy SEAL training, I was there for 18 months. It's only six months long. People go, how the hell did you do that? It was my new norm. My new norm was I wake up, I get the shit kicked out of me every day, and I go to bed. I didn't think about comfort outside these walls of hell. I thought, this is my new norm, so I gave my mind no way out. So when you're able to do that, it becomes a way of life, like breathing. So it's still difficult, but I don't give myself a way out. So... Awesome. Uh, gentlemen in the back, if you stand up, please. And the mic's going down front here next. Hi, uh, my name is Gail. Um, thanks for coming. Uh, my question is, what I really love about listening to you is about how you get your drive from like, all the bad crap that happened to you and all the, whenever it gets tough, you just think about all those bad stuff that happened to you and that's your drive. What would be your best advice for people that had the luck, I guess, of having a pretty, like, cruising life, like, not having anything to go back to, and just rely on the logical motivation of be like, oh, I got to do that because I want to get better, but there's always a point where that runs out, and there's nothing really to, like, there's no cookie jar. Right. So, basically, for me, that was my, anger was all of my energy for a lot of years. Anger... I realized one thing when I was in that cold water in the Pacific Ocean in my third hell week. When I was angry, that water made me very sane. So there was no anger. So it couldn't fuel me. And I was like, oh my God, my dad didn't, okay, my dad beat me. Come on, come on. No, no, no. I'm fucking cold. I want to get out of here. That was in my mind. It wasn't my dad beat me. It wasn't kids calling me nigger. It wasn't me stuttering. It wasn't me all these insecurities. It was, I want to get out of here. So anger can only fuel you for so long. So to answer your question is, for those people who didn't have a bad life like I did, you have to look at, I should be doing much better than I am. Because there's a lot of people who came from nothing that are kicking my ass. So what does that mean about me? What the hell am I doing? So it's how you talk to yourself. So a lot of entitled people have an entitled mind. When you are entitled, you got to know you're entitled and say, if I came from this nice private school, this nice house, these great parents, food in the refrigerator, there's no excuse for me to fail. So what am I doing here? So you got to look at yourself, that, that, that big accountability mirror, and say, man, that's where it has to hurt you worse than it hurts me. So that's where your fuel has to come. I have no excuse to fail. So your cookie jar is a plethora of cookies in there. But they're nice, fresh, homemade, baked cookies. My shit was stale. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hi, David. Thank you for your book. It was a really good read. Um, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and I deal with aging athletes sometimes. And obviously, the body does age. Yes. At some point, you're probably not going to be able to run or it, run as far as you want. How right. do you think you'll deal with that? It's very simple. I, I, I didn't know that I would be able to handle it like I did. So for six years, you can look and you can Google my name. and It says David Goggins, 2005, ran these knee races. 2007, ran 7,000 miles. Like you can see all this stuff. 2009, heart surgery. 2010, heart surgery. I wasn't running. Then I had this health issue. Was on my back, in my bed, unable to do anything. So I sat back and instead of whining about it, What I did for a while, I had my little pity party, but I said, okay, what can I do now? I can't run. I can't work out. I can't do the things I like to do that push me. So what can I do? Go back to college. So what you do, if you can't walk, you crawl. If you can't run or walk or crawl, start studying. You find what you can do. What is your new 100%? So you got to constantly find that new 100%. So as you get older, I can't do what I did back in the day. But my new 100% is this. What we do is we live back in the day I used to be able to do this. Okay, you can't anymore. You can't. You're old. My new 100% is here now. So for a 60-year-old man, 
This is what I'm doing now. But the key is, you want to be 60 and kick the shit out of a 30-year-old as long as you can. <laughs> That's the idea. And then when you can't, find a new 100%. Sweet. Uh, gentleman in the back. Hi, David. Uh, oh! <laughs> Thank you for the abs workout the other day. It thank was, uh, you. It was brilliant. Thank you. I'm going to share a quick story with you all. <laughs> this lovely gentleman here sees me come out of my room yesterday going to dinner about 9.30 at night. Don't know who the hell he is from Adam. He says, Goggins. I'm sure I said David. Might have been Sir who David. Who the fuck I'm... is this with this big beard? <laughs> hey, Goggins, let's do some sit-ups. We're in the hallway on the fifth floor. I challenge you. That's where this is going, people. Thank you. Go ahead. Do I, do I have to tell the rest of the story? He won. <laughs> no. No. And if you believe that, you're out of your damn mind. All right? If you believe that shit... You're out of your damn mind. I live what I preach. So next time you challenge me, young man, come correct. I thought press-ups. Just playing. I thought pull-ups were your thing, so I thought sit-ups, I'd have half a chance. Um, I do have a question, though, and, and that was an amazing experience, so thank you very much. And, um, thank you. And I've listened to, to your audiobooks and... In one of them, you do sound a little bit scary, so I was a little bit apprehensive. But um, yeah, as you can see, he, he is a wonderful guy. But my question is, I, I really like your morning routine, and I want to know, uh, for people that would like to emulate something like that, how, how long does it take to embed that habit or to create that new habit? And ha how do you stick with it, and how long is it going to take? Because you know? I could do it for a couple of days and then fall off the wagon. So what's right. the secret to creating a new habit and sticking with Great it? Great question. Thank you. I had this thing called the 40% rule. And basically, I was able to run 100 miles of no training. Don't do that. <laughs> Stupid idea. Read it in the book. It ended tragically. How you do that is this. So let's say two days, you had trouble, you get tired, you get bored, whatever happens. The 40% rule is this. We have a governor on our mind. Like a car has a governor, okay? A lot of cars have governors. It says 130, but guess what? The manufacturer put a damn governor on the car, so when it gets to 92... It's doing this. Can't go any faster. Our brains are set up the same way. But we put these governors on ourselves. So where am I going with this? 40% rule. You can't go from like, I want to run two damn hours every day like David Goggins. I want to do thousands of sit-ups, thousands of push-ups, thousands of pull-ups. You can't do that. I didn't, I didn't do that. I did one thing like that. So what you have to do is say, okay, you got to take increments of 5 to 10% a week or a month. So for me to run 100 miles a week, when I first started doing this, I got to 20 miles, damn, my shins hurt. Okay, bump up 5%. That's all I can do. Okay, bump up 5% from 20. After a year of doing this, small bump ups, because our mind can handle these small bump ups. Before you know it, what happens is that 40% that we're really all at when the governor hits in, we're going to 50%, 60% by taking these small increments so don't just get up every day and do this. Say, okay, three days this week I'm doing it. I'm going to run three miles, whatever it may be. Set your goals. Next week, go 5% more than that. And everything of life, not just working out, business, everything in life, before you know it, you have this six-hour workout routine that people are like, oh, my God, you're fucking amazing. No, I'm not. All I did was three years ago, I started with 20 miles. Now I'm at 120 miles. I'm able to do this many push-ups, this many sit-ups, and guess what? It's just by bumping up 5 to 10% weekly, monthly, whatever it may take. Before you know it, it becomes your new norm. That's how I did it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, there's, a, there's a guy whose arm's about to fall off. It's been in the air that long, just behind here. There you go. There he is. Um, and I guess you could apply that not just to physical training, but also like discipline on what you might be doing in your business. You know, if you're not ready to start knocking out, you know, two, three Facebook lives, ah, two, three Facebook lives. For those lives. of you that are sleeping, wake the hell yeah. up. 
you know, if you're not ready to start knocking out two, three, four, five Facebook Lives or posts on social a day to build your profile, start off with two or three a week and then gradually add on bits and ultimately it will become a habit. Um, you want to talk about this or just scare people? I will talk about briefly. So real quick, the hand is me on my second. So I did three attempts at the pull-up record before I got it. The hand is me at 3,040 pull-ups. So obviously it didn't happen all at one time. At about 1,000 pull-ups, my hand started ripping like this. You can't, the picture is not real good, but it's literally a third-degree burn. And then the picture with my toenail, that picture right there is actually feet from a frozen otter race that I did. But that's how my feet look going through my third hell week. Why? I arrived at Navy SEAL training for my third time, the last time going through, or you're kicking me out. I literally had to duct tape my feet to my, I had six, I, I had stretch fractures, people. And I had to start training with them. Why? Because it's my last time going through. They weren't going to roll me anymore. So what happened, when you, when you tape your feet up through your middle of your calf, it literally set me and everything was locked like this. I didn't want to pivot because whenever I pivot, my stretch fractures would hurt like hell. So I ran on my hip flexors. So when I did it, is it made my biomechanics off, so my big toe just drove into my boot for six months. So every day I come home, I would soak these things in Epsom salt and go back at it again. People are like, my God, they see this picture, my God, you're sadistic. Don't forget where I came from. Don't forget, people like to go now and put a title on me. It gives you a get out of jail free card. This is impossible. What you are is impossible. You're giving yourself a way out. That's all you're doing. If you put a title on me that I'm crazy, I'm sadistic, I'm just talented, you're giving yourself a way out. That's all you're doing. The other toe is from Badwater 135, 135-mile race to Death Valley. At mile 30, that bad boy started to form. And as you know, by the time the race was over, that's how it looked. So Merry Christmas. You guys are all awake now. <laughs> all right. Yes. Thanks for picking me, Nick. Uh, welcome to London, David. Thank you. Um, so my question is, I'm able to push myself physically. I'm also able to push myself intellectually and academically, but I don't have the same drive to push myself in that way as I do physically. So I've heard a lot about you. I've watched all your podcasts, listened to your book, and you talk a lot about physical attributes and being able to push yourself physically as well. How do you find it trying to push yourself intellectually and academically as well? Is it just as easy for you? No, that's where it all started. So everybody thinks that this mindset came because I run these races and Navy SEAL training and Ranger School and all that crap. It didn't. It came because at, you know, when I was a junior in high school at a fourth grade reading level, I have so many damn learning disabilities, it's not even funny. I got everyone known to man. I got to sit here, take them all. So basically how I learn even to this day, so just to give you an example, the, the Navy dive manual is over a thousand pages. I knew I was going to Navy dive school and I'm like, there's no way in hell, I can't even spell these words, you know, let alone all these law, get, you know, gay Lusex law, child's law, Bull's law, Dalton's law, and applying them to all these different mathematical figures. So what I had to do, what really got me going as far as my work ethic, was how I learned is I had to get that book and every single thing as far as mathematical equations, um, different formulas, I have to write them down over and over and over again. So my real self-discipline happened at a kitchen table by myself writing these things over and over again. So that, that thousand page dive manual, I have probably, I say over 150 spiral notebooks with every single word of that dive manual written out, handwritten out, so many times, and I put it to memorization. So that's where the real work ethic came from. So it's not easy, but for me to be a Navy SEAL, for me to be where I'm at today, I had to do that. It's the only way I can get it. So I was forced to have that kind of work ethic. So. Great, thank, thank you. you. You can bring the microphone to the gentleman in the second row, please. And yes. So being a here today, guys. Um, David, how do you rest effectively, mind and body? That two to three hour stretching every night? Yeah. So what I do 
is I'm a real big believer in shutting the noise out. I'm a big introvert. And how I get my energy and strength to do this again is there's no talking. There's no one around. There's no phones. There's no conversing. There's no emails. There's no nothing. It's me stretching, quieting the mind, getting positive thoughts in there, visualizing, being centered on David Goggins, what is right, what is healthy, what is important, kind of a meditative state so I can redo it again. So that's the first part. Then after that, I'm out cold in the bed. So literally, rest for me, I used to never have it and used to never do it, is the most important thing for, for me. So that's where it starts. What time is that bedtime? Some, sometimes it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Because why? I may land. Like, so I landed here, and so a lot of times when I land, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. But guess what I haven't done yet? Stretched. So I got to stretch out. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's 4 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So my schedule changes all the time. So sometimes I only get two hours of sleep. But in a perfect case scenario, I'm getting eight hours of sleep. I'm in the bed by 10 o'clock in the perfect case scenario. But life is not perfect. So, Thanks. Man. All right, so uh, gentlemen here. And then can we get the mic, please, to the guy by the door at the back? He's had his hand in the air ages. Yes. Hi, David. Fantastic book. I listened to it here. Oh, here you go. Um, so you are the man you are today, because of all the challenges that you've faced, some right. that happened to you and some that you put yourself through. Right. Uh, and each time you had a challenge and you went through that challenge, you grew. So when it comes to raising your children, their lives are a lot more easier than, than you had. Yeah. So how are you going to help them grow and what kind of challenges are you going to put them through? <laughs> <laughs> I have a very old school mindset. You have to adapt to where you're at today. But, but the biggest thing that we've done as a country, as a world, as a nation, as everybody, is we've gotten soft. Yeah. We've gotten mentally soft. We don't want our kids to live like we did. We want the best for them. They're never going to have this unless you have to put some challenges in front of them. As a parent, you have to give them responsibilities. Right now, we're afraid to tell people, hey, you're not doing that well. Work on this. We're afraid to confront kids. We're afraid to confront anybody. You have to still be a parent. You still have to tell your kids what's right and wrong. It's an equal relationship. It's not equal. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. (laughs) They have to be taught. They have to learn by the numbers. And how we do that is you have to do that. So guess what? Chores, responsibility, make them a little, that right there alone makes them uncomfortable. Well, Danny's not doing it, you know, that, that right there. Makes, so it's just these little things, making sure your room looks good, giving them some responsibilities. Because, you know, why? I don't want my kids to have, you know, life like I did. Yeah. No. I don't want anybody's kid to have that. But I do want them to have some of the tools I got from a little bit of suffering, a little bit of pain, because the real learning happens there. In the growth. Yeah. The real learning, it, it happens in the struggle. You don't learn anything outside the struggle. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm laughing because my son sat in the front row. Oh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> so, chores, tidy room. Yep. He's looking at me right now going like this, boy, if I could cuss at you right now, brother. <laughs> Under the table, you got a middle finger up, don't you, young man? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Uh, gentleman down the back by the door. Hi, David. My name's Andy. Uh, uh, thanks, Nick, for the uh, shoulder workout. I didn't expect to get a shoulder workout just holding your arm up so long. Roger that. Yeah, so uh, I run a self-publishing company. I would love an author that was as successful to you. You said that um, you put $500,000 behind the book. Did, where, where did the money come from? Did you get investors to invest in the book, or how did you raise the money? You know what's great about me? I lived off peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for a long time. So I had a vision, and my vision was to retire my mother. I knew when I was growing up, I didn't care about myself at all. I cared about her more than me, which is why I never put all of my pain and suffering I was going through as a kid on her. She was going through a lot, saw a lot of trauma. So did I, but I cared about her more than me. So at 19 years old, I first went in the military, I started sending money home. And I said, you know what, forget that. Every time I deploy, every time I get a reenlistment bonus, I'm putting all this money up. So basically, when I got out of the military, I had a nice little stash of money. But I got about 60 grand in retirement, 
every year for being retired. So that was going to be my retirement. I wasn't expecting some book to blow up. But I had some money put away. So that money put away went right to my book. So that's what happened. All right. A lot of, a lot of self-publishing authors said, uh, have the same faith as you did as well. Cause right. Because a lot of people don't want to put the marketing side into it, which is the bit that you got right. Right. So, you know, I got, once again, I had something that people wanted. Mm. And basically, once that happened, I didn't lose that much money because basically I was selling so many books. Yeah. And when you self-publish, the best thing about it is that money comes in monthly. Yeah. When you don't self-publish, that publishing house says, oh, every six months, we'll cut you a check after we get ours for your book. Yeah, absolutely. So now, my book, I get a check every month. I can roll back into my book. So now I control everything. Absolutely. So that's how that worked. Thank awesome. you. Uh, this lady here. Hello. Um, my name's Emma. Um, through listening to your book, um, you've done some incredible challenges over the years. What's next? And also, um, I follow you on a lot of social media channels. Right. And I see today you're wearing a top. Um, does it feel strange? <laughs> good one. Good one. So, really good one. Don't get embarrassed too much, but yeah, I'll start wearing a t-shirt now when I, when I do my social media posts. Don't do it, right? Okay, yeah, there you She'd go. She'd be disappointed, as right. would many, I think. So basically, I talked about me being sick. I had a drop out of a race called Badwater 135 in 2014 for being sick. I haven't done a 100-mile race since 2014. I am now doing a 100-mile race in August. So it's taking me this long. So to answer, you know, back to your question, basically... You always have to give yourself hope that you're going to come back. So my thing was maybe I can run a 100-mile race again. So I'm now just healthy enough, you know, from 2014 to go back to a 100-mile race after that many years. So that's what's next for me. Thank awesome. You. All right. We're going to take one more question, then I'd love you to just talk us through to summarize these challenges that are on the screen. Okay. So Yes. Hi, Nick. Thanks for bringing uh, David along, and thank you for the book and the podcast on uh, Joe Rogan. Absolutely loved it. Thank you. Um, before I ask my question, I need to um, give context to my situation. Um, I went through something in 2017. Like, I had a lot of repressed trauma, and things just happened that year, that year to just set things off. And I have ADHD, and that complicated it all. And it got to a point where I, kept, I just lost a sense of who I am and kept wishing I was dead. And um, just when this time would spiral, I sort of came back down to earth earlier this year, and I'm still trying to find myself. Um, so, what advice could you get? Could you give for anyone in a similar situation, like to find themselves again? So, in my book, what you see is my life does this. That's real life. Real yeah. life is not a fucking movie. Yeah. Like when this. This guy goes through shit, and then he just peeks off at the very end, like pursuit of happiness, runs down the damn stairs, he's rich and goes on forever, lives his happy life. No. <laughs> so I've come up with this, and this is what works for me. I lose my shit all the time. I am a human being. I'm not Superman. I'm not even daggone Robin, all right? So basically what I do is, once again, I'm really big on shutting the noise out. The noise is a lot of people in your life we attract how we feel. When you're negative, trust me, you look around you, you will see nothing but negative people around you. Yeah. So that energy is bouncing right back on you. You're not surrounding yourself with people saying, hey man, get the fuck up, let's go, let's yeah. go. Let's get up, let's get after it, let's go. Whatever goal means, let's just go. Yeah. You surround yourself with these negative people, therefore you're constantly bouncing energy back and forth, negative. Yeah. What you have to do, first of all, is realize that. I gotta put myself around the right people, if not the right people, by yourself, to clear your mind. Yeah. So what I do is, I go to a very lonely, dark place in my mind. I shut everything off. I think about my purpose first. What is my purpose? You're not gonna find it with this noisy life that we live in today. Everything's so fast. Everything's moving so fast, you can't keep up. Therefore, your mind is going so fast, that you're not thinking about, where am I, what am I doing here? You're trying to keep up while your mind's way back here. So you got to get your mind caught up with you 
in this quiet, dark place in your mind. Sit there, relax, meditate. It may take months. It may take an hour. It may take years. Hopefully, it's faster than that. Think about your purpose in life. What do you truly want to do with your life? Have I gotten off track? What pulled me off track? What the fuck's going on in my life? Do I have a bad girlfriend? A bad boyfriend? Am I listening to bad people? Who? You got to go through this mental checklist. Start to take out all the negatives. Be honest with yourself, though. Are you the problem? Be honest with yourself. So you find your purpose in this place. From there, come up with the plan. The planning part's very easy. You're in a nice air-conditioned room. Everything is great. Drinking a lemonade, chilling out. You're happy. I got my purpose. I got my plan now. Now, the sucky part comes. I got to put that shit to action. This is where we hit the snooze button. This is where we go right back to the poopy pants mentality is in the action phase of all of this. Because we're not strong enough to fail. I believe that our life is really at 20 to 40%, like I talked about. You're trying to get 100%. That planning phase is all in here. The dark place, the, the purpose, the planning phase. But from 20, 40%, there's a whole bunch of shit in here that we don't want to face in that action phase. There's failure, there's failure, there's darkness. But over here, there's a big tunnel. In that tunnel, that's where you will find that light. But you got to get through that shit part of the action phase and have the courage to be able to attack that. So that's what I do. I don't stay in the planning phase too long. I get right to the action phase and get to it. Okay, great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, round of applause for that. All right. I think we could sit here all day and ask questions, but um, in, in summary of this session, just... Run through these challenges very quickly for us um, and give us some thoughts and distinctions around them. So we've talked about all of these already. Is uh, The accountability mirror, you all know, this is, um, this is something between you and the mirror. You know, we, I was a big-time liar growing up. I had low self-esteem, so I wanted people to like me, so I just developed a different personality that whatever you liked, I liked. I might have hated it, but whatever you liked, I want you to like me, so I liked. And this accountability mirror... It was a raw thing about who I truly, truly am. And I got sticky notes and put them all over this accountability mirror about what I need to do to improve my life. Do something that sucks every day. A lot of us want to take a class on mental toughness, read a book on mental toughness. You're not going to find it in there. You may find some steps. The only way to find true mental toughness to get better at something is to do something that truly you don't want to do. In that spot is where you start to find growth. The cookie jar, I talked about that. The 40% rule, I talked about that. A student of life, I didn't bring my books with me today. I literally journal every single thing that I did every day. I have so many journals and stories, it's not even funny. I go through my life, what time I woke up, how many hours I slept, how many hours I stretched, how many miles I ran, what I ate, what, what I did during the day. Did I have a good day, a bad day? Was, you know, whatever. I journaled my life. I became a student of life. I'm always learning something. The one second decision, you guys and gals also already know. So, um, but the last thing I'll say is, don't stop when you're tired. Stop when you're done. I you to explain to people what is your biggest fear, just to end on that. Okay. So, real quick, everybody. I don't know if you believe in God or not. I don't care. I'm not here to judge you. I believe in something higher. My biggest fear in life, I visualize a lot. It won't take much time. So let's say this. Let's say you're God. Merry Christmas. Let's, let's enjoy that moment for a minute. <laughs> okay. And let's say that this whiteboard is located right here between God and the next person in line who's in heaven on Judgment Day. This is what I think Judgment Day is in my mind. It's not, it's something I do to keep myself going every day. Let's say back here is a real long line of people who made it to heaven. Okay. So I'm sitting in line waiting my turn. Jane Doe's up. Jane Doe has the whiteboard. God comes by, has her whole life on this whiteboard, rips it off. Next on the whiteboard, it says David Goggins. It's in between me and God. I sit down. God is here. I'm here. I'm looking at it. And so now let me go back for a second. I never became the person I am today. 
I made to heaven. I'm 71 years old. I used to work for a company called Ecolab when I was 24 years old. If you read the book, you'll hear about all this. 24 years old, working for Ecolab, 297 pounds, fat, out of shape, going nowhere, making $1,000 a month. That's what I was at 24 years of age. Let's say I did that my entire life. I worked for Ecolab. Let's say I started making $2,000 a month. You guys get to, you guys understand this. I died working for Ecolab, fat, out of shape, accomplishing nothing. I get to God. God looks at me. I look at God. He rips it open. David Goggins. On this nice piece of paper, it has my life. I'm looking at it. It says 185 pounds, run a lot of ultras, broke a lot of records, pull-ups, motivated people, was a Navy SEAL, motivational speaker, did this, wrote a best-selling book. I'm like, God, this is not me. It's my name, but it's not me. My biggest fear is that wherever I get judged in my life, when it's all said and done with, that you being God looks at me and said, this is who the fuck you were supposed to be. So my biggest fear in life is that I get somewhere when it's all said and done with. At the end of the day, and I had all this potential to be who I am today, but I just settled at 297 pounds, thinking that this was the best I could do, figuring I was truly trying. That is what keeps me pushing every single day in my life, is that I don't want to get somewhere when it's all said and done with, with someone saying, ah, you really... So are you in heaven or are you in hell? What I want in my life is for God to have his handwriting up here. And then down here, there's some scribble. And I'm like, what is this? He said, not even I knew that you were going to be able to do this shit at the bottom here. That's what I want. David Goggins. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you all so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us here in London. Thank you. Make some noise for David Goggins! Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you again. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember, till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.